Hello, everyone, and welcome to Me, You, Us, a well-being podcast. It's another Well-Being Wednesday here at Consumers Energy, and I'm your host, Bill Krieger. Today, my guest is B. Hale. She's a customer service representative here at Consumers Energy. So, B, if you'll introduce yourself, we'll get the conversation started. Hi, my name is Barb Hale. I go by B. I've worked for Consumers Energy for 29 years in the customer service department. Um, up until about, I'm going to say, 15 years ago, I was on the phone. Um, after that time, I, I, I'd been doing most of the paperwork and email to the company due to the fact that I cannot hear well enough to be able to take an emergency phone call or let, understand customers over the phone. So basically, my, my duties right now are limited to paperwork and email. Okay, so if you could kind of talk a little bit about, so when you first started working for Consumers Energy, you were in the call center, you were working the phones, and then you know, something happened where you experienced some hearing loss? Um, I started in I started on the phones, just like a regular customer service representative. And then in 2000, after I had had foot surgery, I started to get tendonitis which is an, um, a constant buzzing in your ears. Um, you get used to it after a while, but it still gets to be annoying from time to time, depending on what the barometric pressure is. The higher the pressure, the, the louder the noise gets. Or if there's a lot of background noise, the head noise gets louder. So it makes it very difficult to understand people. Um, in 2004, I went to see a specialist that, that that deals directly with just ears and hearing issues. At that time, he had discovered that there was a tumor attached to the hearing nerve of my left ear. Um, at that time, he decided that we would just watch it because it was supposed to be a, quote, slow-growing tumor, unquote. Um, <laughs> which ended up actually doubling in size in over two years. So at that point, he had to remove it. And I had two choices. I could either have it surgically removed or I could have it, um, what I want to call a shot with the radiation. Uh, the problem with, radio, with that is I was a little bit nervous because it had a less than a half a percent chance of getting a brain tumor from the radiation and at 45 years old they did not have enough data um, from radi the radiation treatment to actually be able to back that up that i would not have any trouble with any type of brain cancer later on in life most people in my in this situation are usually 65 and over so being 45 i had an extra 20 years there that they had no no information on. So I opted to have the surgery and have it surgically removed. Now, because the left ear was always my primary ear because I could not hear out of the right ear, this was very important that I try to um, preserve the hearing in that ear. So what he did is he tried to leave a little bit of the tumor to um, prevent disturbing the, the nerve itself. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, and I lost all of my hearing out of the left ear, which meant that I then had to wear a hearing aid 
and right ear so that I would be able to understand people. Because without my hearing aid, I'm completely deaf. I mean, not completely, but 95%. Um, so um, after the surgery, I had a lot of head pressure. I felt like I was wearing a bathing cap on my brain, and I had a lot of migraine headaches for two years. Um, at the two-year point, the tumor started growing again. Only this time, it was growing around the nerve and not out like a, an actual tumor. The problem with this is if, the, if, it, if it got to the point where it got, it hit the facial nerve, which is part of the three nerves that are, are combined with the balance nerve, the hearing nerve, and the facial nerve. If it hits the facial nerve, I would look like I had a stroke. And we didn't want that to happen either. So what that meant is I had to actually go back and have the gamma knife surgery done. It's non-invasive, but it's very, very technical. They have to be able to pinpoint it exactly as far as where they're going to shoot the radiation to be able to blast that tumor and kill it to the point where it's not going to grow anymore. After that point, I mean, almost immediately, I no longer had the head pressure. I no longer had the migraines. I no longer had the dizziness. So that took care of everything. So my, my lesson learned there is go ahead and take the risk and do the gamma knife first and avoid the, 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 the surgery altogether. But that's 2020 hindsight. Um, at that point, or the year before, um, we had determined that I could not hear well enough to be on the phone, and that's when they took me off the phone. So in 2005, I believe, is when I started doing paperwork. Now, luckily, because I had been here long enough, which would have been um, 13 years at that point, I had enough background and enough experience and enough training that I was able to move on and just do the paperwork and the email. At that time, we had email for both residential customers and our business customers. We are now limiting most of our our email to our small business customers that um, have any questions in regard to the bills or if they need any adjustments done or move-ins or move-outs. I wanted to ask you, many times when we think of things that, that we call disability or differently abled, we think of things that we can see, like someone may be in a wheelchair or they may walk differently or they may look differently. But in your case, uh, with hearing loss, that's not something that people can necessarily see. So how has that impacted you through through your life, through this period of time where you've had the hearing loss and may not be able to hear as well as you used to? I usually have to remind people that I can't understand them unless they're facing me so that I can read their lips. Um, that's been extremely difficult over the last year with everybody wearing masks. It's basically... <laughs> Very difficult for me to understand what people are saying unless they enunciate very clearly and speak up to the point where I can actually understand them. Because I don't have a speech impediment with my hearing um, and hearing loss, a lot of people forget that I can't hear them, and that becomes a problem as well. So I have to, I have to be, I've learned to speak up and be able to tell people that I, I can't hear you unless you're looking at me. Um, it's very hard for me to understand anything that is transmitted electronically. Um, that would be phone, a microphone, speaker, um, 
anything that I cannot see you or I cannot hear you or cannot see your lips, I should say. So I can't read your lips and I can't understand what you're saying at that point. And, you know, that was a challenge for us to do this podcast. Uh, we were talking about this and fortunately uh, within teams, we can use the transcript service so that uh, you can see what I'm saying and we don't necessarily have to be face to face, but not a lot of people know that within teams, there is this service that uh, will transcribe your speech so that those who are hearing impaired can see what you're saying. So that's been very helpful for me. That's something I learned through uh, talking with you. Um, yeah, a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that, they, that the closed caption does work on teams and it works out very well, especially when we have a lot of virtual um, meetings now because everybody's working from home in the call center. So um, it's nice that I can be able to understand what everybody's saying in a meeting without having too much difficulty. I kind of hesitate to go back to the office and have to sit in a room with everybody because I won't be able to see some people when they speak. If you're in a, in a room with a large table and several people at the table. So for me, it's to my advantage to be able to use Teams in almost any uh, instance when it comes to meetings. And yes, I, I had a couple of team, team leaders that um, actually asked me how, how to set it up so that they can they can let other people know. Now, um, as people age, their hearing kind of decreases. And once you get to the point of like 60, you don't actually have, you don't actually realize how much hearing you have lost between the time you're 60 and when you retire. And this comes to an advantage to you because you'll be able to use this with closed captioning as well. You don't have to be 100% deaf to be to be using the the closed captioning. I know I use the closed captioning on my TV at home so that I can understand what they're saying on TV. And it, a lot of times that bothers people because they don't like to see the words popping up underneath them. But after a while, you get used to it, and it almost becomes um, second nature. Well, and that's also good to know. Very easy to um, set up on a on a TV. As you know, the month of October is Disabilities and Employment Month, but also our employee resource group, Capable has their annual conference, the Abilities in Action Conference. And so I want to talk a little bit about uh, your experience prior to Consumers Energy. And when we talked before, we actually went all the way back to 1968 when you had started school. And uh, something else, the audience and maybe even some of the folks that you work with may not know, is that you uh, also have cerebral palsy. And because of that and because of the way that we uh, treated people who were different uh, back in the in the 60s and early 70s, even before that. Normally, someone with cerebral palsy and other conditions would have been institutionalized, but you had a different experience. So could you talk a little bit about your experience when you were uh, a child and what happened with school? Sure. Um, when I was little, I have an older brother and an older sister, so they went to the same elementary school that I went to. So my mother was a room mother, which meant that she went in and helped the teacher when they had parties or if the teacher needed some assistance, um, you know, with help with some of the students. She'd go in and help. 
So um, I was usually around the school a lot, so the principal got to know me quite well. Now, in 1968, they were still encouraging um, the disabled to be sent to a school over on the eastern side of the state. My parents did not want to send me away to school. So um, at that point, the principal of the elementary school that I went to was um, extremely confident in the fact that I would be able to keep up with the rest of the kids because my disability isn't really that limited. My disability is limited to from my hips down. So most of it is coordination, muscle, muscle coordination, and walking. So as far as my cognitive skills, I am just as normal as anybody else. So she didn't have a problem with it. But the school, the school district did. The um, school board didn't want me to start school because I was disabled. Well, she kind of overrode that and decided that I would be able to go to school just like anybody else. So I started kindergarten in 1968, which is four years before mainstreaming started in most schools. So you might say I was a forerunner in the mainstreaming issues. Um, my kindergarten year, my teacher did not want me in her class. She did not want to have anything to do with my disability. And she didn't have any idea how to handle anybody with a disability. So it took her a while, but because my disability was not very severe, it was easier for her to adapt to that. And I think that was a learning process for her. So it didn't end up being that bad, but it was still the fact that I had that barrier where she was not willing to make any accommodations. Um, that's when we found out that I did have a hearing problem with my right ear. She didn't want anything to do with that. She didn't care where I sat in the room. My mother had specifically put a note in my, in my school file that said I had to sit up at the front of the class on the right-hand side so I'd be able to hear without any problems. Nope, she didn't want anything to do with that. Now, my first grade teacher was totally the opposite because she had a handicapped son. So she was willing to work with me. She understood that I had limitations and that um, there may be some things that I needed help with. But she also treated me just like any other student in the class. So that was my that was like night and day compared to kindergarten. So going through school, it was kind of hard for teachers to be able to adapt to me because in elementary school, I could not go outside during the, during the winter. So I had to stay inside. So the teacher usually had to come up with a project for me to work on while the rest of the kids were outside. Sometimes that was a little more difficult than others, depending on what she needed done. Um, that's where my creativity came into play. I helped her create some of the, the, the poster boards in the room or um, making flashcards or whatever she needed done. That, you know, it was a little bit busy work that she didn't have time for. So over the years, I, um, the teachers had learned what I could and couldn't do and what my limitations were. And in most part, I didn't have that many limitations as far as my school work went, other than the fact that I wasn't a very good student to begin with. After elementary school, I had a hard time adjusting to middle school um, because everybody there treated me just like any, any, any other student. There was no exception. 
There was no any soft treatment, you might say. I was just like any other kid, and that took me a while to get adjusted to. So middle school for me was not fun. It was more of a struggle to get through, to find my own identity, and accept who I was at that point as being handicapped. And it did take me probably the rest of my school, school life from sixth grade until I graduated before I understood that. Having the teachers in elementary school kind of treat me differently because of the fact that I had a handicap may have not been the best in my interest as I progressed on into the into middle school and into high school. I, I want to go back a little bit. You, uh, when we were talking about grade school and starting out in school, there's something that kind of struck me here, and it's that your uh, particular disability did not did not impact your cognitive function. You were just like any other student when it came to that, but it sounds like um, really it wasn't a limitation that you had. It was the expectation or limitations that teachers would place on you because they were uncomfortable uh, with you because it's not something that normally happened in school was to have someone who was differently abled. How did that impact you? Because it's not you. It was really, it was really about them. I think in that, in that, in that aspect, I did very well because I adapted to that. I was not easily offended by somebody that was not comfortable with me being around. I just let it roll off my back because I figured there's a lot of people that don't have any contact with a disabled person on a day-to-day basis. And that gets to be very uncomfortable. They don't know how to react to this person. They don't know how this person's going to react to them. They don't know how to treat this person. Do they need to be a little more careful with them? Are they fragile? Are they gonna understand what you're saying? There's a lot of things because people just don't understand disability. And each disability is a little bit different. So, you you know, the only way you're going to learn what to expect from a disabled person is to ask them. You need to be a little sensitive to what you're asking, but not too sensitive. Trying to think of an example. I mean, I had a lady that I used to work with, and she would not stay in the room with me alone. If there were other people in the room, she was okay with that. But if everybody else got up and went back to work and it was just me and her, she would get up and leave every single time because she didn't know how to handle or how to talk to me as a normal person because I had a disability. And to me, I kind of found that I found that a little bit funny because I'm just like any other person. There's no other, there's no other difference when you're talking to me. I mean, yes, I can't walk. I can't. If you if we were to take a walk down the down the that hallway, it's going to take me a little bit more time than it does you, and you might get a little more frustrated from that. But if you're just going to sit here and talk to me on a on a regular basis, just like a kind of regular conversation, there's no limit. There's no um, barrier as far as I could see, as far as me understanding what you're saying or for me to be able to talk to you and have you understand what I'm saying. So if we think about uh, when you were back in middle school, which, okay, middle school is difficult enough uh, because kids 
for whatever reason, sometimes kids in middle school aren't very friendly. Uh, but as, as you made it through middle school and high school, do you think that as well as you being a really, honestly, a pioneer in mainstreaming, do you think that maybe you taught people some things along the way about uh, yourself and about themselves? Yeah, because the kids used to teach me in elementary school about being treated differently than, than them um, because I was disabled. And um, by the time I got to middle school, the kids that I went to elementary school with, I was just another kid with them. Didn't bother them at all. I didn't have that much problem with with kids. Kids usually adapt pretty easily. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because if you run into a smaller kid, like a, a toddler, They'll come up and say, well, why do you walk funny? And their mom will go, well, don't ask her that. It's like, no, that's okay. They're young. They need to learn this stuff. I don't have a problem with answering it. Whereas if an adult says that, I might get a little more offended from it, depending on how they ask the question. If they ask me what my disability is, that's fine. But if you're going to ask me why I walk funny and you're an adult, I don't think that's an appropriate question. I can uh, completely understand that. Children are amazing because they're not afraid sometimes to ask those hard questions. I know there were many times when my children were younger uh, where they would ask questions, maybe not how I would have asked them, but uh, people were always understanding because they were kids and they just they just wanted to know. There was no uh, ill intent there at all. They're just curious, I guess. Uh, but you're right, as an adult, uh, there may be a, a much better way to ask those questions. You know, now that I tra- now that I'm trans- transitioning into a wheelchair, I don't think it's that hard anymore because there are more and more uh, disabled people out in public where people are used to seeing people in public in wheelchairs or with walkers or with braces. So today is not quite as hard to transition into as I get older as it would have been when I was younger. Because even the adults when I was younger were not used to seeing disabled people, and that made them more uncomfortable. For the long run, from from 1960 until now, I'm going to say there's been a lot of progress in um, people accepting disabled people in general, and in some cases they accept them more personal on a personal basis, depending on who they are and how well they get to know the person. Nowadays, I think it's much easier to um, accept a disabled person than it was back in the 60s. And you really grew up all through all of those changes. And I can imagine what you have seen in all those different uh, areas, some good and some bad, but but mostly good changes um, throughout the years. Uh, so be, we are coming up to the end of the podcast. Um, these conversations tend to go a lot faster than than you think that they are. The time flies. Um, but before we go, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience? Sure. Um, don't be afraid of a disabled person just because they look different or they have a device that you're not used to. Um, get to know the person before you judge them as a disabled person. More than likely, they're going to be more just, just normal people just like you. They just have a few more challenges than you do. And they have learned how to overcome those challenges to make their life a little bit easier and to make it a little bit easier for you to be more comfortable with them. If you have a question, don't don't hesitate to ask the question. Just remember to ask it in a more 
um, tactful way than to be um, straightforward. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with the audience. And thank you for talking about your life because it's it's been very interesting um, hearing about uh, some of the differences and um, also some of the ways that we're, we're all the same. Appreciate you taking the time today to be on the podcast and uh, look forward to uh, doing this again sometime in the future. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. And thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to do this for you. Um, to let people know that um, disability is not any different than any other person. It's just a little bit more challenging. And thank you to the audience for tuning in today. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And be sure to take a few minutes and fill out our survey to let us know how we're doing. That can be found at http colon slash slash b-i-t dot l-y slash m-e dash y-o-u dash u-s. And remember to tune in every Wednesday when we talk about the things that impact your personal well-being.